What a great day it was when Jesus died on the cross, rose from the grave, and then offered this wonderful thing called salvation to you and to me. I hope that you know Jesus as your Savior and that you are ready for heaven because I think it's just around the corner. You know, we live in unprecedented days, days that are very, very difficult, and I hope you're praying, seeking God's face, and using this as an opportunity to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. Some of you are wondering, who is this guy standing up here? Why well, I'm John Blodgett. I used to be the pastor here for a number of years, and um, I would listen to Pastor Phil a little bit today, and we talked some on the phone yesterday, and Every once in a while, I remind them, I'm probably the only guy who can really understand what you're going through, and I want you to know these are very difficult days to pastor a church. I have a son-in-law who's a pastor, another couple of kids who are our pastor staff, and um, man, it's just tough. You don't know what to say, because every time you say something, you get criticized. Every time you do something, it's like, did you do the right thing? You second-guess yourself. And I hope that as a congregation... You're praying for Phil, you're praying for our pastors, that they'd have wisdom to know what to do, how to respond, and how to go forward. Uh, yesterday when we were talking on the phone, I just said to Phil, I said, I'm so glad you're in and I'm out. Because he's making decisions that I never had to face. I never had a COVID-19. I never had to figure out how to shut church down, how to start church up and what to do. And so would you just be praying for him that he'd have extreme wisdom to know what to do? Now, I love to tease Phil because he worked for me for so many years, and so um, I'm going to just share this. A couple of weeks ago, he said he's so excited to enter this part of, of the study of Joseph because Joseph's seeing so many good things happen to him, and I'm sitting at home going, yeah, right, Phil. Thanks for the topic you gave me. A couple of months ago, he sent out a, a, a list of preaching assignments, and he gave me this Sunday, June 7th. And I looked at the title and said, are you kidding me? The groanings of a sad dad. And I thought, how uplifting is that? I mean, it just, I'm going to talk about groaning all week. And then I looked at the text and said, there's nothing in here but a bunch of sad news. And, and all the times I preached through Joseph, I've never preached in this section. I've just done chapter 42 together and chapter 43 together, but never broken them up. And so I said to Phil yesterday, I said, I'm just going to pick on you a little bit because, wow, what you gave me to talk about is so heavy. But then we talked about it and said, it's a text we need exactly today for this day and age in which we're living and the difficulties we're facing in the United States of America. So if you have your Bibles, I'd like you to turn for a moment to Genesis chapter 42, and let's go ahead and let's start this study in the groanings of a sad dad. What is life like in the story of Jacob now as we kind of focus back in on him for just a little bit and see what's going on in his life. Some of you grew up uh, when I did and you watched an old program called Hee Haw. And Hee Haw had this group of guys that come out and they'd sing this song that said, gloom, despair, and agony on me. And that's exactly what this text is about. You see, Jacob it seems like there's no way out for him out of a very bad situation. He's living in the midst of famine, and the only solution for him right now to feed his large family is to go to Egypt to buy food where they have plenty of food. Because Joseph had been storing it up, there's food there, go get some. For Joseph's brothers, man, they had a really bad time in Egypt. Joseph is just pinning them down and making them squirm for all that he had done to, they had done to him. And so they have this bad time. Now they need to go home and they need to tell dad 
that Simeon is left behind in Egypt. And, and by the way, Dad, we can't go back to Egypt to get more food unless we take Benjamin with us. So what lessons can we learn from a passage of Scripture that at first glance is all bad news? Well, let's jump in and learn two very important things at the beginning, and it's this. Difficult circumstances often produce sadness and groaning. Difficult circumstances, much like we see in America today, whether it be all the, the division in our country over different views of, of what's going on, whether it be the COVID situation still among us, we are having some bad times and there's a lot of sadness and a lot of groaning. What does the Bible say we should do about it? How do we deal with it? Well, let's look at difficult circumstance number one in Jacob's life. Here it is in verse 29, Genesis 42. When they came to Jacob, their father, in the land of Canaan, they told him all that had happened to them, saying, the man, the Lord of the land, spoke roughly to us and took us to be spies in the land. But we said to him, we're honest men. We've never been spies. Difficult circumstance number one, we'll get to in just a minute, is this. Simeon was left in Egypt. These guys had dreaded this day all the trip home. You, you see, they've been thinking, how in the world do we tell dad that Simeon is left behind there in Egypt? It's the first time they began to be honest with their father. Look again with me at the text. They said, we're honest men. We said to him, honest men, we've never been spies. Twelve brothers, sons of one father. One is no more in the land of Canaan, our father's alone in the land of Canaan. Then the man, the Lord of the land, said to us, by this shall know that you are honest men. Leave one of your brothers with me. Take grain for your famine of your households and go your way. Leave Simeon behind. Can you imagine what went through these guys' brains for a moment? Joseph, we sold him. Now Benjamin, or, uh, Simeon, we leave behind. What are we going to do? we got to tell Dad the truth. For the first time, they're honest with him. See, for 20 years, they'd concealed a secret from their dad. Their dad thought that, their, that, that Joseph had been killed by a wild beast. And they let him believe that lie. Now we've got to tell him the truth. About Simeon, at least. If we don't tell him the truth, there's no return to Egypt to get Simeon as well as more food. I want you to know something, friends, that you and I have to understand. The only way to overcome lying is by telling the truth. You see, when you lie, it spins more lies and more lies and more lies. The only way to stop it is to begin telling the truth. And it's painful to tell the truth at times. But it results in clearing the conscience and restoring trust in those we have deceived. So if you're caught in a pattern of lies, I want you to pray and ask God to help you be a person of truth and begin telling the truth and reversing the things so you clear your name and you're no longer viewed as a person of deceit. You see, truth is really what pleases God. In Psalm 51 verse 6, it says, Behold, you delight truth in the inward being. 
God wants us to be truthful in the, in the inside. Why? Because Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And when we're truthful, it's a reflection of who Jesus is in our personal lives. One of the things I chuckled at a little bit this week when I was reading it again is that they say to Joseph, we're honest men. Do you ever wonder what Joseph must have thought about that time? Yeah, right. You guys dealt honestly with me. You sold me here. I know you're not really honest people. So he said, I want to put you to a test now to see if you've changed any. Prove to me that you are not spies by leaving one of you behind with me and you go home. At this point, we ask ourselves, what is God doing to these guys? They ask themselves that same question in, in verse 28. What is it that God has done to us? What is God doing? Well, to understand what God is doing, let's back up for a minute. Let's notice how they are living as I said before, they let Joseph or let Jacob believe that Joseph had been killed by a wild beast. Here's some interesting things. Reuben had a sexual relationship with his father's concubine. Judah had a sexual relationship with his daughter-in-law. These guys were messed up. What is God doing? God is exposing their sinfulness and making them come face to face with themselves. God specializes in doing this. He, he begins to get us alone, begins to kind of squeeze us a little bit, and say, take a look in the mirror. See who you are and see what you have been doing. Why is God doing this? Why didn't, why didn't he just let them go on their own pathway? Well, because God had something he wanted to do in their personal lives. God had to deal with their sin before he could execute his plan. And what was his plan? First of all, to save Israel. I mean, they're going to all die here in Canaan if they don't do something. And God has this unique plan where he's going to take Jacob and his family down into Egypt, by the way, to fulfill Scripture, but he's going to put them there to preserve the nation of Israel. Second thing he's going to do in preserving Israel is he's going to preserve the line through which Jesus is going to come. That's through the person of Judah. And as they go down to Egypt, Judah is saved, and therefore they're able to have the fulfillment of God. And here's something interesting. You know, once in a while you study Scripture and you have one of those aha moments. I did this when I was studying this. I read something and went, whoa, why have I never put this together before in my life and all the studying I've done? <clears throat> these men, at this point in their life, God is working in their lives to get them ready to be the 12 patriarchs, the 12 heads of the tribes of the nation of Israel, upon which everything is hinged in Scripture. These men who sold their brother, these men who had sexual relationships that they shouldn't have had, these men who were deceivers and connivers, God is saying, I'm going to work in your life and I'm going to change you to make you the type of people that I can trust to lead my nation through whom the Lord Jesus Christ is going to come someday. God is dealing with their sin so he can accomplish his will. Friend, mark it down. God will deal with our sin every single time so he can accomplish his will. He will not let our sin stand in the way of his will. He wants to use us, but in order to do it, he's going to deal with our sinfulness. So difficult circumstance number one, Simeon's down in Egypt, and we're back here. Difficult circumstance number two, look at this in verse 34, if you would. 
He said, bring your youngest brother to me, then I shall know that you are not spies, but honest men, and I will deliver your brother to you, and you shall trade in the land. All of a sudden, dad, here's the bad news. I know Simeon's down, that's really bad, but the really bad news is Benjamin has to go with us, or we can't go back. Why is this such a big deal? Because Benjamin was the youngest son, Joseph's brother, the youngest son of the woman that Jacob really loved, Rachel. Yes, he married Leah out of trickery, but he loved Rachel. Supposing Joseph to be dead, Benjamin is all he had of the wife that he really loved. The most devastating of all news so far, not that Simeon was there, but that Benjamin must go. Difficult circumstance number three, Watch this, verse 35. As they emptied their sacks, behold, every man's bundle of money was in his sack. And when they and their father saw their bundles of money, they were afraid. Up till now, they had everything rehearsed. Let's tell the story. Let's make sure dad understands. Let's get Benjamin to go with us. And now they unload their animals and they begin to look in their sacks and everyone, to their surprise, finds their money in them. Whoa, devastation, why? Because now it really looks like they are thieves as well as spies. And it says in, in, in the text that jo Jacob was, was terrified. He was alarmed. Why? Because all of a sudden it dawns on him that if Egypt decides to pursue his sons, he could lose every one of his sons as they accuse them of being thieves of stealing the money. So a sense of hopelessness comes over Jacob. He feels helpless, hopeless, as he looks at the situation, he looks at his sons, and in verse 36, it says, Jacob, their father, said to them, you have bereaved me of my children. Joseph is no more, and Simeon is no more, and now you would take Benjamin. All this has come against me. I want you to notice a couple of things here. First of all is this. Jacob lays the blame for the, his grief squarely on the shoulders of his sons. You see, he senses somehow, and he has for 20 years, that his sons were responsible for what happened to Joseph. He's, he knows they're responsible for Simeon's being left in Egypt, and now he said, you're going to be responsible for me losing Benjamin as well. He said, you have bereaved me, of my children. When I look at this text, I learn something from it in regards to grief. Lacking trust in God, Jacob cries out, everything is against me. You reach a point where it seems like there is nothing that will absolutely go right in your life. Everything is wrong. Everything is bad. You touch something and it breaks. You see, friends, when we can't see the plan of God, we often feel hopeless and helpless. When we can't see what God is doing, it's like everything is against me. And I believe it's at those times, just like at those times in our country right now, that we must lift up our heads and we must see God once again with a clear vision even when we can't see his plan. 
It's time for the church of Jesus Christ to begin to look upwards and go, there is a God in heaven, and God cares about me, and this is not the end. We're going to somehow get through this because we're promised an incredible future in heaven someday. So if you're caught in the midst of despair, whether it's over the racial divide in our country, whether it's over brutality, whether it's over political divide, whether it's over COVID-19, would you just pause a minute and go, wait a minute, God, you are still on your throne and I am gonna trust you and let me see what you are doing in this day and age instead of seeing things from an earthly perspective. Well, right now, Reuben steps up and he gives a plan as his dad says, everything is against me. Nothing's going to work out right. Then Reuben said to his father, kill my two sons if I do not bring him back to you. Put him in my hands and I will bring him back to you. What? I, I, I cannot grasp this. It's a sincere effort on Reuben's behalf to say, Dad, I'm going to bring him back. But what was he thinking? What grandpa gets great delight out of killing two of his grandsons because their dad didn't do what he said he would do? As a, as a grandfather of 13, grandchildren, or 13 grandsons, not alone the granddaughters, just the sons, I, I'm like, what did you just say? You think I would really kill two of my grandkids just because you messed up? Here's the deal. Jacob never even responded to him. It's like, that was just a dumb suggestion, Reuben. Just keep it to yourself. Because he is so consumed with his grief, he just gives a resolute refusal to suffer any more loss. Watch this as it unfolds in verse 38. He said, my son shall not go down with you, for his brother is dead, and he is the only one left. If harm should happen to him on the journey that you are to make, you would bring my, down my gray hairs with sorrow to Sheol. In other words, I'm not going to let Benjamin go with you. I believe if anything happens to Benjamin, I am going to die. Sheol is, is the grave. Sometimes, I don't know if you've ever been there, but sometimes in our grief, sometimes in our overwhelming difficulties, we just want to scream, enough is enough. And that's where Jacob is right now. What do I do when I want to scream enough is enough? I have to learn to be patient in those difficult circumstances and let God be God and let God do the things that only God can do in the midst of my difficulties. I need to remember something that Morris said in his commentary. God has not let things get out of control. He has higher purposes related to our eternal future for which he is preparing us through such difficulties. In other words, when I come through the refiner's fire, I'm going to be tried like gold. I'm going to be purified. I'm going to be changed. And God is saying, I want you to go through this hour so that in the end result, you're going to accomplish some incredible things for my name. So I learned that difficult circumstances produce sadness and groaning. But here's the second thing. Difficult decisions often produce sadness and groanings. When I look at this section of Scripture beginning in chapter 43, we see Jacob forced to make a very, very difficult decision. There's a need that needs to be addressed there in verse 1. Now famine was severe in the land. 
Now, at first glance, it's like, really? What we just saw was going on in Africa. We send supplies to Africa. The famine is severe. People are going to die if we don't give them food. And Jacob and his family are going to die if they don't get some more food. So he says to his sons that eaten the grain that he brought from Egypt, he said, go again, buy a little food. So, hey, boys, I've been looking at the grain supply, empty. Go down and buy some more food. I don't know how much time has elapsed here, enough to know that they needed new supplies. But Judah, in this obstacle to overcome, said to him, the man solemnly warned us, saying, you shall not see my face unless your brother is with you. If you will not send our brother with us, we will, not go, to, we will go down and buy food. But if you do not send him, we will not go down. For the man said to us, you shall not see my face unless my brother is with you. Judah, this time, becomes a spokesman. And he says, Dad, here's the deal. We can't go. You said Benjamin couldn't go with us. We can't go back down there. The man will refuse to listen to us. He will not see us. He will not sell us anything unless Benjamin is with us. And so Jacob, once again, feels all of this frustration. So he asked a question. He said, why do you treat me so badly as to tell the man that you had another brother? They replied, the man questioned us carefully about ourselves and our kindred, saying, is your father still alive? Do you have another brother? What we told him was an answer to the questions. Could we say in any other uh, way than what we said, bring your, bring your brother down? What are we going to do, Dad? There's nothing that we can do right now. He asked us, we responded, I don't know what else to tell you. So now Judah comes up with a plan in verse 8. And I know we're going through this kind of quickly, but it's just a narrative. And I want you to see it. He said, Judah said to Israel, his father, send the boy with me. And we'll arise and go that we may live and not die, both we and you and our little ones. I will be a pledge for his safety. From my hand you shall require him. If I do not bring him back to you and set him before you, then let me bear the blame forever. If we had not delayed, we would now have returned twice. Judah steps up. We're not in the heat of the moment of hearing all the despair. We're thinking rationally about what we need to do. And he said, Dad, I don't have anything else to offer you except I will bear the responsibility all of my life if I don't bring him back to you. At first brush, it seems like <clears throat> it's just a great statement. But you know who Judah is, don't you? Judah is the beginning of the line of Jesus all the way through the nation of Israel. And he offered to redeem his brother. And I want you to know something, that Jesus Christ, the descendant of Judah, has done the same thing for you and me. He offers to redeem every single one of us through his shed blood on the cross of Christ. We don't have to live life the way we've been living it. We don't have to be lost in our sin anymore because Jesus came into this world and he will redeem us from the realms of sin and of darkness if we'll but open our hearts to him. And so Judas says, I will take care of it, Dad. I'll bring him back. And so a tough decision is made from a broken man. Have you ever been so broken and know you have to make a decision that's gonna break your heart? 
That's exactly where Jacob is right now. He had no alternative. Look at these first words in verse 11. Then the father of Israel said to them, if it must be so. He said, if there's no alternative, that's why tough decisions produce sadness and difficulties. If I can't do anything else, then I've got to let him go. God at times allows us to be in positions where we have no alternative but to do what we don't want to do so that his greater purposes can be accomplished. Let me put it this way. Sometimes God appears to put us in what appears to be a no-win situation so that we make a decision that accomplishes his will and results in our good and his glory. Jacob couldn't decide anything else. If I don't let Benjamin go, we are going to die. So if you're in a dark place right now, and you have no alternative but this one decision, there's nothing else you can do, just remember that God is probably at work forcing you to do something that's going to accomplish his will. So as Jacob thinks about it, he says, okay, I've got to do it. Let me give you some things that will appease the man. I like this in, in, in verse uh, 11. He said, if it must be so, then do this. Take some of the choice fruits of the land in your bags, carry a present down to the man, a little balm, a little honey, gum, myrrh, pistachio nuts, and almonds. Take double the money with you, carry back with you the money that was returned in the mouth of your sacks. Perhaps it was an oversight. He said, here's what we're going to do. We've stored up a little bit of food, some grain, some, some nuts. Take it with him. Those are gifts. We've had hard times. He'll recognize we're trying to do whatever we can do. But then he makes a unique move. He said, return your money and take more money with you so that he knows that you're not spies or thieves. It was an oversight maybe. Oh, I don't know why he had the money, but don't let him accuse you. Take double the money. What's going on here? You remember that Jacob's name means deceiver, and he had practiced deceit so much. Jacob the deceiver had become an honest man. How'd he get there? You see, Jacob had met the pre-incarnate person of Jesus Christ. And after that meeting, he was forever a changed man. Would you listen carefully to this? When you really meet Jesus, your life is forever changed. See, I don't think you can meet Jesus and be the same. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians 5, 17, Therefore, if anyone is in, new, is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. And Jacob is saying, listen, there would have been a day I would have kept the money and you would have gone down and said, what are you talking about? We don't have any money. It must have been one of your servants stole it. But no, he's saying, no, we're going to do this the right way. And he proves that he had really met Jesus. Matthew Henry said in his commentary, honesty obliges us to make restitution. Not only of that which comes to us by our own fault, but of that which comes to us by the mistake of others. As I was reading through this, I thought, hmm, have you ever 
the days before we use credit cards all the time. Have you ever given somebody some money and they gave you back too much change? Have you ever been at a restaurant and you look at your bill and go, hmm, they forgot to charge us for this stuff. What do you do? Do you go, huh, my mistake, and put the money in your pocket and walk away? Or, woohoo, we caught a break there. Let's, let's just hurry and pay the bill and get out of here before they catch it. Honesty says, let the mistake be made known. Say to the person, hey, whoa, 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 you gave me too much change. Here's what you gave me. When I've done that a couple of times, the cashier's like, whoa, thank you. Why? Because they have to make up what they're short in their till. But they've looked at me and said, you know, I've never had anybody be that honest before with me. A couple of times I've looked and said, um, <clears throat> you didn't charge me for our soft drinks that we had. And they go, oh, thanks for noticing. A couple of times they've charged me, a couple of times they've not. What does that do for me? It opens up an opportunity for me to share something about Christ and the change he makes in my life. And it can be very simple to say, you know what? I'm a follower of Christ. Christ wants me to be honest. And I just want to be honest with you and share a word about who Jesus Christ is. Honesty, so very important. He comes to a difficult decision, and he says in verse 13, he said, take also your brother and arise and go to the man. Can you imagine Jacob's response later on, and Pastor Phil will get to preach this, when Jacob sees his son? Go meet the man, the man, the man, the man. It's your son. Take Benjamin and go. And he has a desperate hope. Watch this in verse 14. May God Almighty grant you mercy before the man. And may he send back your other brother Benjamin. And as for me, if I am bereaved of my children, I am bereaved. Here's his desperate plea. God Almighty, El Shaddai, the Mighty One who can do anything. And he said, I'm asking the Almighty One, the all-powerful God, to allow you, my sons, to find mercy from the man in charge. Let me ask you a question. Did God answer that prayer? I think Gino is going to preach on this section uh, when he gets an opportunity to preach, and it's in chapter 43. And verse 30, there's a word that says, and Joseph filled with compassion left the room. The word compassion and the word mercy are the exact same word. And we can see, here's, here's Jacob. God Almighty, have mercy. And here's Jacob, mercy over, or Joseph, mercy overflowing his life. So he has to leave the room. God answered his prayer and begins to turn the whole cycle for Jacob and his family. But he comes to a despondent conclusion in verse 14. And if they die, they die. There's nothing I can do about it. It sounds like, are you kidding me? Why would you say that? It's out of his control. It sounds like despair again, but it's not really despair. It's a little bit of hope. I'm trusting God to deliver you that you could have compassion. And now I'm going to sit back and I trust God. And if they die, they die. What is he saying? He's saying, God, I am remembering something about you. 
I am remembering that you promised something to my descendants, and I'm going to count on you to keep your word. Genesis 35, verse 11 says, And God said to him, to Jacob, I am God Almighty. Be fruitful and multiply. A nation, watch this, a nation and company of nations shall come from you, and kings shall come from your own body. They couldn't all die. Why? Because there were going to be mighty nations rise up. Kings are going to come out of his own body. The right things were going to happen. And Jacob had now come to the point of his life where he says, you know what? Go. God has a plan, and I will trust the plan. And in verse 15, the journey begun, begins. So the men took the present. They took double the money with them and Benjamin. They rose and went down to Egypt and stood before Joseph. We could just end it right there. But that doesn't give us much hope because, well, we picked up a couple of gems throughout it. We basically told the story. So in just a brief moment, I want to put it all together for our lives with this. What do we do when everything in our lives is filled with doom, gloom, despair, and agony? My world is falling apart. How do I make it through? All of the difficulties in our nation right now, how am I going to go through this? College students saying, what's college going to look like in the fall for me? Students in school, am I going to go back to school? What's that going to look like? Am I going to get out of the bind I've been put in? Adults are saying, with not being in work, all the things that are happening, it's so difficult. What on earth do I do right now? Let me give you some points. Here's number one. Go to Jesus. Do you ever wonder why Jesus is always our last resort? He says in 1 Peter 5, 7, casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. When you're burdened, when life seems depressive, what do you do? God, here it is. I can't bear it anymore. You promised you would take it. I give it to you. Second thing. Remember, God has a bigger plan for your life than where you are right now. He's got a bigger plan for you. His plan is not to leave you in this despair. He wants to help you. Jeremiah 29, 11, God says to the nation of Israel, and I think we can apply it to us, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for your welfare and not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. Hey, if you're a little bit down, God's got bigger things for you right now. Just trust him. Here's the third thing you need to do. Remember that the best is yet to come. Romans 8, 18, Paul says, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed in us. Hey, friend, heaven is just around the corner. Be patient. All of this stuff will be but a dim memory, and we will enjoy heaven forever if we know Jesus Christ. And if you don't know Christ, I hope today you will come to know him. Here's the fourth thing you do. Remind yourself of God's promises. Romans chapter 4, verse 21. Abraham's reflecting on some things when, when he had to offer his son Isaac. And here's what he said. Abraham was fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised. 
What do you do? You get with the promises of God, which promise you all sorts of things, like a future, promise you the presence of Christ, promise you blessing upon blessing. And what do you do? You sit there and say, I believe that God can do everything he has promised to do for me. And you begin to claim the promises as yourself and live within the realms of what God has said about you and what God wants to do for you. And then, one of the things we like to do is have pity parties. Do you ever notice that? My life is falling apart. It's really bad. It's really bad. It's really bad. Here's what I want you to do. The last thing. Saturate yourself in God's love for you. Ephesians 3, 17 says, So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you being rooted and grounded in love may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. It's summertime here. It's been warm. Here's what I like to picture. I like to picture God's love like an ocean. But for this, we'll put it to an Olympic-sized pool. And what is he saying to us? Go ahead and stand on the edge. And look at this. See how big it is. And jump in. And go all the way down to the bottom. And let God's love surround you on every side so that the height, the depth, the breadth, the length of it all just immerses over you and you can understand how much you are loved by God. Is life tough? A lot of times. Are there things we can't explain? More than we would like to acknowledge. Are we frustrated and confused? Quite often. What do we do? Remind yourself that you are loved incredibly by a God who can do the impossible and that he does not want to leave you where you are, but he has a plan and a purpose for your life. And as I take my burdens to him, realize he will carry them. He will give me strength for the journey and I will be able to make it through this, not somehow, but successfully, joyfully, and triumphantly. My faith will be strengthened and I will be a better individual for what I just went through. And that someday, someday, I get to end my life's journey and open my eyes and see my Savior, Jesus Christ. That's what we have to look forward to in the midst of gloom, despair, and agony all around us. Father, may you fill our hearts with hope, with joy, with strength, with courage. May you help us in difficult hours to realize that Jesus is still on the throne Nothing has changed with him. And that some sweet day, we get to spend eternity with him. Thank you that even tough passages of scripture like this can teach us valuable lessons for our day and age that we can leave strengthened, encouraged, and ministered to with hope in Jesus Christ. I pray in his name, amen. Thank you, Pastor. I'm so appreciative of you bringing the word to us. Got two family items to leave you with um, today. Uh, first, would you just be in prayer for the Mclemore family? Our brother Don Mclemore um, uh, has been diagnosed with stage four pancreatic cancer, and um, he's in a pretty bad way. We're actually going to be uh, praying over him. The elders are going to be gathering together Tuesday night. We're going to gather around the cross. 
and actually pray over him, anoint him with oil, and ask God to heal him. I just ask you to be in prayer for he and Sheila, Don and Sheila, and the whole family as they wrestle through um, this hard time of their life right now. I know you'll be faithful in that. Reach out and encourage them, and we're going to ask God to strengthen them and to bring healing uh, to Don's body. The other thing is next week, keep your ears open. Um, next week begins our big countdown to reopening. Uh, it'll be four weeks to our reopening on July the 5th. And uh, next week, we're going to lay out the plan for how that's going to look on that day. So keep your ears and eyes open to uh, receive all that information. Hey, until we meet next time, if we don't meet in heaven uh, between now and next Sunday, we'll see you right back here next Sunday morning. We love you. Walk in the love of the Lord Jesus Christ and share that with somebody else today. God bless you. Thank you so much for joining us for this morning's online service. Our hope is that it ministered to your heart deeply, and we pray that it inspires you to love God, love people, and influence our world with the gospel of Christ. If you made a spiritual decision today, or you'd like prayer in your life, we'd invite you to fill out an online connection card by clicking on the link. If you haven't downloaded our church app yet, now's a great time. It has tons of resources and opportunities that you can take advantage of. Finally, you can check out our website, fbclcart.org, to stay connected with us. We hope you have a great week, everybody, and we'll see you right back here next week, same time.